know those talent shows you watch on television where the contestant stands up in front of the judges and they're asked, why are you here? And they say, well, all my friends tell me I'm such a good singer. My voice is so good. So they just told me I had to come, so I'm here. So the judges are all expectant to say, how wonderful, great, we wait to hear you. And then the contestant opens her mouth and we all start cringing because it's horrible. Have you ever felt that you haven't lived up to someone's expectations? Your parents expect straight A's and you get maybe B's or even C's or D's maybe. Your coworkers encourage you to go for a promotion only to be knocked back again. Sometimes, no matter what we do, we cannot live up to other people's expectations, not even our own sometimes. What happens when we don't live up to God's expectations? Let's take a deeper look. Have you ever heard of a self-fulfilling prophecy? You know, the one where someone tells you something about yourself and then you live up to that. Others tell us who we are and we think that's who we are. The naughty boy, you're such a naughty boy. And he hears that enough times and he starts expecting himself, well, I, I'm supposed to be naughty, so I'll just be naughty. Or the, 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 maybe the child who just hears all the time, you're worthless, you're rubbish grow up thinking that they're worthless and they're not really worth anything, that they may as well not try because they're, no one's going to love them or care for them. Sometimes we tell our kids, oh, you're so clever. And then that child starts to grow up, grow up thinking that in new situations that they are equipped to actually learn that because they're clever. Or maybe they hear, oh, you're so good with your hands. And so they start doing things with their hands and making things and, and playing with things and being creative with their hands because they've been told they're good with that and they get better by doing it. God says to us in the midst of this plethora of all the laws in the Old Testament, He says this in Leviticus 19, Be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. God Himself is holy. Holy means perfect or morally and spiritually excellent, excellent in every way. And like Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. Except he's not practically, he is perfect. And he expects us to live up to that standard of perfection. He said that we're supposed to be holy like he is. But how many of us can live up to that? I mean, after all, we're only human, right? But he says right here, be holy as I am holy. So there's an expectation. Human beings have been unsuccessful at living up to this for a very, very long time since Adam and Eve in the garden. Back in that garden, Adam and Eve were given a job description. Tend the garden, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And only one command, don't eat the fruit from that tree. And what did they do? They ate the fruit from that tree. And this produced a problem. You see, God is holy, but these people he loved were no longer holy. Because God is holy, he's perfect and morally just and righteous, he had to punish Adam and Eve. So he kicked them out of that perfect place because they were designed for that perfect place, but they couldn't be there anymore. 
And the, the problem is just like the coronavirus that maybe it mutates a bit and it multiplies itself inside of a host and it billions and billions of times and it goes to another and another and it gets bigger and bigger and spreads. There was like an infection that was inside Adam and Eve. Because of that choice they made, an infection of unrighteousness that has been reproduced billions and billions and billions of times since then. This unrighteousness and unholiness has a name. The Bible calls it sin. It's not sins, plural, because it's not really about the individual things that we do wrong. It's more like that infection, that incurable infection, which affects all of us. The infection which drives us to do the things we call sins. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to, to the Romans, and in chapter 3, he says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Just like Adam and Eve, where they were driven out of the garden, we are separated from our relationship with God in the same way that they were. We're separated from Him by our sins, the things that we do to disobey Him. Just like in another relationship with other friends and family, if we do things against them, it causes animosity, doesn't it? But we're also separated by our sin, that infection inside of us. So what do we do then? That's the question that's been asked by human beings and religions all over the world ever since then. We know that we're separated from God and we're trying to make up for it by doing good things. When I was a child, I was told that it's like God has this balance in, in, in heaven and all the bad things you do go on that side and all the good things you do over that side or over there. And depending which way it goes, if you have more good things, then you get to go to heaven. And if you have more bad things, then you don't. But the problem is it's not about measuring more good things against bad things because it's not about the things, remember. It's about that infection inside of us. It's kind of like that sin, the big thing, is like the Grand Canyon. And no matter how many good things we do, no matter how long of a run-up we get and how good we get at running, there's not a long jumper in human history that can jump across the Grand Canyon. And we can't do enough good things to compensate for the sin in our lives. It's not just about the individual sins like Slimmer's World or something like that. It's that infection that drives us to do the things we don't want to do. Even the Apostle Paul said in his letter in, to the Romans in chapter 7, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. This is Paul, who was Saint Paul. And he compares it to being a slave to sin. A slave is someone who has no rights. They're owned by something else or someone else. And they must obey whatever their slave master tells them to do. He's saying that he is a slave to this, this infection, this sin inside of him. Even the amazing Paul struggled with this. Let's go back to that statement that we read about, that God said. He said, be holy 
because I am holy. A few chapters later, he says something similar, but a little bit different. In Leviticus 21, he says this, because I, the Lord, am holy, who will make you holy. So God wants to make us holy. We aren't holy, but he wants to make us holy. Remember, God is not only holy, he is also loving. So what would a loving God do in this situation? He's created a race of human beings, designed them, fashioned them, handcrafted them, made them in his image even, and now they've been ruined. Okay, he's, in my mind, he's got probably three options. Option number one, destroy them all and start over again. But he loves them. He sort of did that with, you know the story of Noah and Noah's Ark? He saved Noah and Noah's wife. They had three sons and they were all married. So he saved Noah, his wife, and the three sons and the three wives, wiped off all the other people from the planet and they started over again. The only problem was that Noah and his family all had that sin infection inside them already. So it just started multiplying again. Option two, God could live with this imperfect world and these imperfect people. But that means he can't be as close to them as he wants to be. I mean, in, in the Old Testament, people had a sort of relationship with God. They had to give sacrifices for this in every, every year. They had to kill animals and sacrifice living things to him to pay the price for their sin. They had to have priests stand in that gap and pray for them, for God to forgive them. They had to have prophets who would listen to God. The Holy Spirit would come on them momentarily, give the message from God, and then leave. And so they had that little moment of closeness with God, and then it was gone again. And God did that for a long time, but it wasn't enough for him. That's not what he designed us for. It's not what he designed the relationship with us for. So there was an option three. God came up with a plan to make us holy like he said he would. Before Paul knew Jesus, he was killing Christians basically, killing those who followed Jesus. All of Jesus' followers had major issues, things like embezzlement and violence and lying and prostitution and all sorts of things. They were just human, infected with that same virus of sin that Paul described. So what was God's plan, that option three? That's what we're gonna talk about next time. Tune into Going Deeper with God next week and find out.